You're listening to, at any rate, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends and themes in fixed income currency and commodity markets today. I'm your host, Phoebe White, rate strategist and head of U.S. Inflation Market Strategy. And today I'm joined by Mike Faroli, our chief U.S. economist. And we're going to be breaking down a big week of data and sharing our thoughts on where rates markets could be headed from here. So, Mike, let's just touch on some of these highlights. First, CPI comes in stronger than expected. The core index up four tenths in January, 0.39 unrounded. That's the strongest monthly pace since April 2023. The year ago rates hold steady at 3.9%. It does not move down. The yield curve bare flattened in the aftermath. And then yesterday, we get a very weak retail sales reading that control group falling 0.4% in January, a huge swing from the jump the prior month. The previous months are also revised down. Um, that gets markets thinking maybe we are seeing a week of consumer after all. We saw the yield curve partially retrace lower and steeper again. And then this morning, core PPI comes out well above expectations, jumping five tenths in January. And here we are bare flattening again. We've seen huge swings throughout the week. Um, and as of this recording Friday morning, five-year yields are roughly 15 basis points higher over the week, close to the post-CPI intraweek highs. The broad curve is about 11 basis points flatter or more inverted. Ten-year yields are sitting just above 430, close to their highest level since late November. Um, and markets have continued to push back the implied timing of the first cut. Um, that's not now fully priced until the July meeting. Um, we have only about 87 basis points of easing priced for the full year. Um, you know, I think the market reaction is understandable given the Fed has made it clear they want further confidence that inflation is moving sustainably towards 2% before cutting. Um, and maybe this week's inflation news is telling you that that could take a bit longer than we thought. Um, you know, I, I highlighted the CPI and PPI surprises. I think the other important inflation release this week um, that came Thursday may be overshadowed by the retail sales data, um, but the import price index for January showed uh, a big jump in import prices, eight tenths on the month. The non-fuel price measure was um, up seven tenths, the firmest increase since March of 2022. And when you take the relevant inputs from each of these releases, it looks like core PCE should be up about 0.47 in January. That would leave the 12-month rate unchanged at 2.9%. That 12-month core PCE rate is the measure that Powell has emphasized that he's watching here. So this does not look like data that's going to really boost the Fed's confidence. Um, you know, I guess the real question, though, is how much of this week's inflation news is a sign of reacceleration in the trend? How much of it is noise? Um, I think there's so many pieces to unpack here. Uh, Mike, maybe I'll just touch on some things that stand out to me, and then I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, when I look through the data, you know, I think there's a lot of things that could be one-offs. Um, of course, it's you know concerning that all these measures are jumping in the same month and even within the reports themselves. A lot of strength driven by services prices. Um, I think, you know, in the CPI, the most surprising piece to me was the jump in OER, owner's equivalent rent. Um, that was up 0.56% uh, month over month. That's the strongest increase since last April. Um, you know, even though most people were expecting CPI rent inflation to continue to cool gradually. You know, three things I tend to, to look to to, to um think that this is maybe a one-off and, and not indicative of a new higher trend. Um, one is, I think, the divergence between primary rent and OER last month. So primary rent came in at 0.36. That was very close to um, our model implied level. I'd also look at the regional divergence 
classes, um, you know, larger class A cities did show uh, further moderation. It was really the smaller class BC cities that showed a big jump there. And, and then just kind of looking at the fact that a slew of al alternative industry rent measures have all continued to show moderation. Um, you know, a lot of those rent measures um, looking at the pace of rent increases on new leases. Um, and, you know, it, it's really hard to expect that CPI rent inflation should continue running much firmer than this industry data over time. Uh, you know, lots of other volatile components that could be one-offs. And if we go back to our models and put down projections for the next couple of months, I tend to want to discount a lot of the January strength. Um, but, you know, data does have me a little bit worried here. So, Mike, what are your takeaways from this week and how are you thinking about the medium term inflation trajectory here? You know, you touched on a lot there. Um, you know, I guess I would say a couple of things. One is uh, through December, the three month annualized run rate on core PCE was 1.5. We didn't think that was, you know, the new trend, um, nor should I think, nor do I think, you know, what we saw in January is the new trend. I think uh, there's, you know, there's going to be some bumps in the road here and, um, uh, but it was, you know, it was an ugly report. Uh, I think you touched on, you know, some of that. Certainly things like, you know, medians and trim means also looked pretty uh, pretty firm. So it didn't appear to be driven by, you know, um, one category. Um, you know, I think there are still some question marks about given the breadth of, uh, you know, some of these kind of funny increases, whether there was a seasonal adjustment uh, they have. Um, made it look a little worse, uh, January being a big month for price increases. But, um, but you know, tending to mostly view this as, uh, as I said, kind of bumps on the way. Um, I wouldn't have expected uh, disinflation to happen without, um, you know, kind of the two steps forward, one step back, which I think we saw this week. Um, you know, growth news, I think similarly, uh, we're not reading the January retail sales report as the new trend, uh, rather, you know, a bit of, um, uh, you know, just some other, a little bit of a reversal from what had been a pretty strong pace of retail sales. So overall, um, you know, I don't think it's overly surprising that every once in a while you get, uh, you know, a bit of a reversal here, the progress we've seen on both, both growth and inflation. So, um, you know, I guess I would say, you know, <laughs> few weeks ago, people were pushing us on, you know, on May or even March for, uh, for uh, first, uh, first Fed easing. We, um, you know, we felt that was uh, a little aggressive. I think, you know, now we're getting some support, I think, from the data that, um, you know, that it's going to take a little while here to get more confidence. But uh, uh, so we're sticking with June, you know, and I just point out that we've effectively have three more CPI reports between now and the June meeting. Um, and perhaps, you know, as important, we get four more jobs reports between uh, now and that meeting. So there's a lot of, lot of, lot of time between now and then. Uh, so still feeling pretty, pretty good about that, uh, that call. Okay. So, you know, understand the point. We need to smooth through some of this noise. And when you kind of zoom out and take a bigger picture view of this data, you know, you can still say, We've made a lot of progress over the last six or 12 months, um, you know, and this has come even with very strong growth. It's been this immaculate disinflation story. You have pointed out that a lot of this has come with positive sort of supply supports, you know, not only on the good side, but also 
when we look at labor markets and the fact that wage inflation has continued to come down even with still tight labor markets. Um, so let's dig into that a bit. Uh, do you think we still need to see softer labor markets in order to get inflation sustainably down towards 2%? Uh, I don't think we have to, but I think you would be a little more comfortable that inflation, uh, I mean, well, I guess you, what you what I would say is 2023 tells us we don't have to have uh, softer labor markets to get inflation lower. Um, however, I think if you want to get more confidence that it's going to stay low uh, and that what we saw over the past six or seven months is going to persist, you'd probably be more confident if, you know, if you did see a little more balance um, in the labor market. So, you know, if the vacancy to unemployment ratio gets closer to one, I think you'd probably be more confident that, you know, some of the improvement will stick around. Um, you know, if the unemployment rate drifted up a little bit. Uh, uh, so I don't think we need it, but it's certainly something I think um, that uh, that we and probably many at the Fed uh, would, would, you know, be more uh, confident that inflation's, you know, on a path to 2% if we saw that. Right. And so I guess that better balance could still come from, you know, either side of the equation if labor supply continues to grow at a healthy pace or we see a cooling in demand here. Let's, I guess, just for a second, touch on the labor supply story. There's been a lot of focus on the sort of immigration boom, the increase in foreign born workers. Um, do you think that that immigration boom is going to continue? Uh, and then also, if you can just touch on your note from this week, you were pointing out that a lot of the increase in labor force in the last few years has come from um, an increase in workers with disabilities. Uh, how are you thinking about these dynamics? Yeah, so so you touched on really there are two drivers of the favorable supply labor supply story. One is foreign born. The other is um, is participation. You know, foreign born. Uh, <laughs> Hard to really know um, how much longer that uh, that persists. Uh, CBO made a bit of a splash, I guess it was last week, in their projections of um, growth in the foreign-born workforce, a lot of which is uh, what they call other foreign national or undocumented or illegal, um, which has been very strong last year uh, and, and pretty strong in 22 as well. You know, that's, I would be surprised uh, if we, CBO is essentially expecting that to continue this year. I would be surprised. Uh, uh, clearly, the immigration reform bill got, um, you know, snarled in politics, uh, you know, but leaving open questions of steps the administration could take without congressional action to, you know, further tighten up the borders. Uh, so it seems like that's, you know, seems like repeating last year's uh, immigration numbers would is going to have an uphill, uh, I think, challenge here. And then, of course, you know, after November, uh, well, immigration is clearly going to be an issue during the election, and already is an issue. Um, uh, so I think, you know, that's going to determine probably a lot of where that goes next year. Uh, and then on the participation story, yeah, so this week we, we wrote about the fact that um, growth in participation among the disabled is, is actually accounted for about a third of. Uh, the overall gains in participation uh, we've seen since uh, since the end of the pandemic. You know, there may be some longer run structural forces helping that, but almost certainly there there is um, a business cycle dynamic where very tight labor markets are probably incentivizing employers to, um, you know, think about ways to uh, to expand the, the pool of, uh, of workers they're they're looking for. 
um, you know, I would think that probably can continue as long as we have a, you know, reasonably uh, tight labor market uh, here going forward. So, uh, but yeah, those are the two, two factors, um, you know, we've, we've been highlighting. Lately. Okay. So um, maybe less supports going forward, but at least for now, um, supply is looking pretty good. Um, let's talk about labor demand because I'm curious what you're focusing on to sort of look for evidence of, of moderating labor demand. Um, you know, we can look at jolts. We still have very low readings on initial jobless claims. Um, you know, clearly the pace of payroll growth has still been very strong. So what are you sort of focused on there? You know, jolts is certainly one. Uh, it's it's a um, not the largest uh, survey. So I think you do kind of want to look at like three and six month averages there. And generally, uh, I think you're seeing cooling labor demand. Uh, they're still, you know, quite strong. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, payrolls were quite strong last month with uh, some upward revisions. Uh, also kind of looking at the breadth of job growth. So um, uh, I've been really seeing a lot of um, strength concentrated in, in government and healthcare. Um, you know, probably expecting that to, to moderate over time. Uh, but you're right. I mean, claims, uh, claims remaining pretty low. And so it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, the cooling we're seeing is, you know, certainly not no evidence of an abrupt break in labor demand. So I would expect, uh, uh, at least, you know, next three months, we probably maintain pretty good job. Growth. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I guess an important part of this is just kind of the broader, direction of, of growth in the economy. And, and I want to turn back to the consumer. Um, you talked about the retail sales data a bit, but um, I guess, how weak do you think the consumer is now? Uh, and I'm also curious what you think about the recent easing in financial conditions in the last few months. How much does that matter? So the consumer, we don't think is weak. Um, you know, certainly the, the picture doesn't look, the picture on consumer finances doesn't look as healthy as it did a year or two ago, right? I think uh, maybe a week or two, the New York Fed uh, consumer credit report showed that credit card and auto delinquencies are kind of moving up to, you know, 10-year highs, let's call it 10, 10 to 12-year highs. Uh, so you are seeing some signs that, uh, you know, the spending binge uh, uh, we've been on over the past three years may be getting a little, uh, a little tired. Uh, that said, you know, we're not seeing excessive levels of debt. Uh, balance sheets overall being supported by the easing of financial conditions you mentioned. Uh, but ultimately, we think it's going to be um, driven in large part by the labor market, right? So um, in the fourth quarter, we had, uh, you know, nominal labor income gains running around five-ish percent. So you take out, you know, two or three percent inflation, that leaves you two or three percent you know, quantity uh, expansion. So um, with that kind of, uh, as long as those kind of numbers, you know, are maintained, I think the consumer probably is in pretty good shape. So it does kind of all circle back to the labor market in a way. Right, okay. Um, and I guess just related to that, because this is a question that's coming up a lot um, and certainly uh, we're hearing it from Fed speakers, but you know, various Fed officials have floated this idea that maybe policy is not as restrictive as they thought. Maybe the neutral rate is higher. Where do you land in that debate? Um, so obviously hard to know because it's unobservable, but, um, you know, the Fed has a nominal neutral of two and a half. 
which I think is about right. But could it be three? Certainly. Um, I, you know, I don't think I would push an argument much above three. Uh, I guess the other thing I'd say is, um, you know, I think I think Chair Powell said you'll you will know neutral by its by its works, right? And uh, uh, while the economy has been, you know, surprisingly buoyant, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of the strength we've seen, uh, certainly in the second half of last year, more than half of the payroll gains we saw well over half were in uh, state and local uh, government uh, and in healthcare. And when you think about, you know, what are the most least interest sensitive sectors, you'd have to say government, of course, and I think healthcare as well. So outside of, you know, the more interest sensitive sectors, I think are, um, you know, have been kind of stagnant, uh, uh, which is what I would expect with um, policy in a restrictive uh, place. So, you know, I wouldn't just look at the GDP or payroll numbers and say, well, you know, policy isn't restricted. Because I think when you dig under, you see it, it, uh, it having its effects in certain places. So I guess if I can just summarize all your comments, you've given us you know, a lot to think about. And I think there are clear reasons to think that growth should be stepping down here over the next couple of quarters. You're probably not going to see the same pace of growth that we saw late last year. And even looking through all the data this week, you know, probably not enough to get us to really question this broader disinflationary trend. Um, and it seems like a June cut is still a good estimate. Um, I think when we look over to rates markets, what really sort of stands out here is the difference between what's priced for sort of the Fed path and also inflation outcomes. Um, I mentioned earlier, the first full cut is now not priced until July. Um, and yet, if you look at inflation swap markets, we're priced for core inflation to come in at only about a 2.2% annualized rate over the next six months. Um, so I think in light of that divergence, tips real yields are, are pretty attractive to own here, especially at the front end of the curve. When we look at break-evens, they're not super compelling. I think there's two... Uh, two-sided risks on that front. You know, if inflation does continue to come in stronger than we expect, we would see break-evens widening here um, and the break-even curve flattening. But if inflation does step down, as we're expecting alongside weaker growth, and we get more evidence, um, you know, that we're getting sort of broad cooling, I think break-evens could move quite a bit narrower. So instead, we think owning tips on a real yield basis still offers pretty attractive risk reward here. Uh, we've seen five-year real yields back up to about 190 on a spot basis. And the carry profile improves quite a bit after uh, the end of this month. So we think that's an attractive position to hold. And it's sort of a hedged version of our broader long five-year duration view. So next week, in addition to the FOMC minutes out on Wednesday, Treasury will auction 16 billion new issued 20-year bonds and 9 billion new issued 30-year tips, both unchanged in size from the prior new issue auctions. Uh, but generally with a, a lighter data calendar, I think markets will be eagerly awaiting the February employment report out in three weeks time. So with that, let me close. Mike, thanks for joining. Institutional investors can read more about these topics on JP Morgan Markets or reaching out directly with questions. We look forward to continuing the discussion next week on At Any Rate. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2024, JP Morgan Chase & Co. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on February 16th, 2024.